You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. All right, take your Bibles. Let's open up to First uh, Samuel chapter 16. Thanks, buddy. First Samuel chapter 16. I got a message from uh, James Nono uh, a couple days ago, and he's going to be headed here to the States uh, here pretty soon, within the next uh, couple weeks. So, man, looking forward to seeing him. It's been a while since he's been here, hasn't it? What, one, how long ago was that that he was here? That's when he was in college. Lots happened since then. So he'll be coming here with his wife. So it's pretty exciting. We just um, sent them off a letter here today, just kind of uh, when they're trying to get over here. Sometimes it's nice to have a church that sends an invitation letter to um, help them while they're trying to get their visas and stuff. They're pretty strict over there in the Philippines. So we just sent that off to him today. So hopefully he's going tomorrow. You can pray about that because they can deny him. So pray that he get that all goes through and they're able to come here and start traveling to raise support. But I, I hope that all goes through and the Lord blesses that. I'm going to be praying for that and um, look forward to seeing my buddy James. So it's going to be good. All right, are you there? Are you at a First Samuel chapter 16? If you're there, say amen. All right, sounds, sounds like you're all there. All right, well, coming up to this message, I actually kind of had something the Lord had kind of put on my heart uh, to bring to you here this evening. And this morning, as I was reading through the passage, the Lord kind of just kind of brought something to light um, that uh, I hadn't really seen before. And um, so he, I guess the Lord decided to change it. So we're going to be teaching on something a little bit different than I originally had planned. Um, but look forward to sharing with you kind of the truth God uh, kind of showed me as I was uh, reading through the passage here this morning. But First Samuel chapter 16, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Now what's taking place in this passage is uh, Saul is currently king of Israel. All right, Saul is king of Israel. Now Saul has done some very foolish things. And because of his sin, because of his pride, and because of his wickedness and rebellion, God has now um, taken the kingdom and given it to somebody else. Okay, So that's, that's where we find ourselves in this passage. That's what's going on at this time. So, so let's, let's read here. Actually, do, do any of your Bibles have like little titles above the chapter? I love those, you know, kind of just gives you an idea of what you're about to read in this passage. So mine says here in my Bible, it says a new king. All right. So that's a new king for Israel going to be anointed. So that's the passage we're in here um, this evening. So let's read here. First Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to be reading verses one through 13. Kind of a lengthy passage, but we'll make it through. All right. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Samuel. How long will you mourn for Saul? So Samuel Samuel was mourning for Saul's rebellion. He's like, you know, just like, why did you do that? What is wrong with you, crazy guy? You know, God has given you literally everything. He's taken you from nothing and made you king, and yet you've allowed that to make yourself prideful and to, to boast and to get involved in sin and to think your ways were better than God's ways. So Saul was, or uh, Samuel was mourning over this. 
And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So he's sending, sending him off to find the next king. And he obviously Samuel knows the next king is going to be one of Jesse's sons. Verse 2. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hear it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to, to, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him who I name unto you. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and saith, Cometh thou peaceably? Now, back then, the prophets wielded a lot of power, because they had the power of God, all right? So when a prophet was coming, if he came in peace, that's good stuff. But if he came uh, with judgment, that's... That's some scary stuff going on. So, so they're like, oh, no, why is he coming? You know, kind of like, uh, have any of you ever got called into uh, uh, the office of like a boss or your parents or something else? And it's like, you know, my dad calls me to the office. It's like, Dad, do you call me peaceably or, well, <laughs> my dad, he, he would do things. You know, he would call us into his office and he'd be like, I need to talk to you about something. I actually do this now, too. I picked it up from him. And I'd be like, what? He's like, well, what do you think I need to talk to you about? And then I'm running through all the things I did wrong, but I don't want to give away anything. So I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to call? And then he's like, I just wanted to say you did a real good job breaking the yard today. I'm like, oh, my goodness, giving me a heart attack. But now I do the same thing. I picked that up from him. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, where am I at? Oh, verse 4. Comest thou peaceably? And he said, verse 5, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And uh, sanctify Jesse and his sons. Uh, excuse me. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. Verse 6. And it came to pass when they were uh, come that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called um, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and said, uh, And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse uh, made a... Uh, Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. I can just see, you know, like, oh, he caught me. <laughs> I got caught. Is, uh, is this all of them? Well, there remaineth yet one, uh, the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And actually, as I was reading through this today, I was like, you know what? 
I don't know. I'm pretty sure where they kept the sheep wasn't the backyard. They're probably standing a while. I, I don't know why I just thought about that. Just sitting there standing. So, here to, here to anoint a king. Yep. <laughs> you know, what do they talk about? They're standing there waiting for David. I don't know why. Have you ever read and just something pops into your head? I guess I'm the only one. All right. Keep going. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him, and he was ruddy, and withal a beautiful countenance, and goodly to, uh, to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings. Father, I just, I, I pray that you will just give me the words to say. You know my mind is uh, not super clear tonight. And um, Lord, I just pray that uh, the things that I uh, communicate will be from you and directed of you and that you will speak to our hearts and show us some way that we can grow to become more like you in our lives here this evening. I pray all these things in your holy, precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I've been tired ever since my parents um, had me take them to the airport and my dad texted me Sunday and said, hey, I'll pick you up at 3 a.m. <laughs> 3 a.m., Dad, you're killing me. So, you know, I was up at like 2.45 and then Rachel and I are repainting our house. And so by the time I took him to the airport and got back, it's like, well, better just get at it. You know how that goes. And then, oh, haven't caught up since then, so... Struggling a little bit, trying to wake up. All right, here we go. Let me ask you this. So we read this passage, and here's kind of my key thought for this lesson here tonight. Here's my key thought. And, and it's God uses things that are small to do things that are big. God uses things that are small to do things that are big. And I'm telling you, as I was reading through this passage, that is what jumped off the page at me. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you, and this is for you, just to think about. What are you most skilled at with your hands? All right? I do this a lot of time in teen class because I just like um, to get the teens thinking, and I usually ask a question just about them personally. But, but what are you most skilled at with your hands? All right? And, and it's nothing to be, you don't be like, oh, well, I'm not really good at anything. You know, you don't have to be humble. I'm asking you. All right? You don't go around telling everybody what you're skilled at. But what, what are you skilled at with your hands? You know, I see Mr. Bussing there. Mr. Bussing is skilled at putting on fishing lures. I guarantee you that. That man is skilled with a fishing rod. I don't think anybody debates that. All right? What are you skilled at? Um, you know, um, some people have spent hours and hours honing their skill. Some people have spent years honing a skill in their life in a way that they use their hands. Everybody has skills that they have. Um, uh, some people that have skills, and I'm just, I was just throwing these out there. I, they're all my family. I was just thinking about my family. I know everybody else has skills. I'm not doing it just to like raised my family up, but I was just thinking about them because I know them best. But I was thinking about my family, and Alyssa has skills, right? She uses them every Sunday and every Wednesday. She has great skills with playing the piano. And is she a blessing or what? Amen? What a blessing. Alyssa is just so extremely talented and so gifted at the piano. Um, but she does it a lot. 
Okay, she doesn't just come here and play. She plays all the time. She plays at home, and she just loves playing the piano. She teaches piano. She's very skilled at the piano. You know, Pastor White, of course, Pastor White has uh, many, many skills. It's unbelievable all the different skills Pastor White has accumulated over the years. But you know what? When I thought of Pastor White and his top skill, I would say he is very skilled at using the Word of God. Amen? He uses the Word of God, and, and, and for... And I, I, I didn't even know off the top of my head, but it's got to be over 30 years that he's been pastoring. The Westheimers aren't here. They, they would know right off the top of their head. But How long? 36 years? Okay, 36 years. Pastor has been using God's word week after week to communicate truth to us. And he's very skilled at using the word of God to communicate uh, truth. Um, I have most of my brothers are skilled with tools that you use for construction, all right? Uh, Most of them uh, have that ability and they use those. I was not gifted in the area of construction, okay? That is not, was not my calling. Um, I always contributed to the fact that when we were growing up, everybody else always did it. And so I never needed to do it because everybody else was always building and taking care of stuff. So I just never learned it. So I ended up leaning more on the tech side of uh, the skill level. But I am not gifted at uh, building in any way, shape, or form. And my wife can attest to that. But I'm trying. Okay, I'm trying. I'm getting better, slowly but surely. Um, you know, so we're getting ready to paint our house, and we, we have a ton of painting to do in our house. And uh, I love painting. <laughs> not true. Not true. So I'm getting ready to paint our house. And of course, in this day and age, the first thing I, who, who thinks they know the first place I go whenever I want to learn something? YouTube. Wait, did you say the library? The closet. No, not the closet. Uh, I go to YouTube, all right? So I go to YouTube, and I look up YouTube videos. I don't know who, uh, these people that just sit around and make these videos about how to do all this stuff, I don't know who has the time to do it, but I will tell you, I am sure grateful for them. <laughs> I mean, any sometimes you can find your exact year of your car, the exact thing you want to do, and there's a YouTube video of somebody taking off the whatever, a certain part of it. It's like, who does this? But I sure love them. So anyways, I go to YouTube, and I'm watching the guy. And one thing I'm definitely not good at when it comes to painting is trimming and trimming the lines. You guys know what I mean? you got to trim the lines and make them nice and straight. So I remember I am not good at it from the last time I did it, okay? And I remember my dad... Um, telling me how not good I was at it. (laughs) So I figured before I started painting, I should probably look up a YouTube video and uh, see the techniques that they were using. So I look it up, and you know, the guy, he just, he he, he dips his, you know, he's sitting there talking, and and he, he dips it, and he goes, and he He's showing you the right, he tells you the right brush you need to use, the, the, um, how firm it needs to be, it needs to have these tapered edges. I'm like, wow, there's a lot about painting that I didn't know. He's, he's giving you it all, then he takes it and he dips it in and he does the line and it is like straight as an arrow. And I'm like, oh, that looks easy. 
And so I see him, he dips it, and he's just like, and I'm like, good grief, that guy just did like a whole wall in like, you know, 30 seconds. That was crazy. So I'm like, all right, that was it. It was just the brush. I just needed to get the right brush. So I, I went to Menards, and I got the right brush, and I got all the right stuff. And let's just say that my lines look like a five-year-old with finger paints. I'm like, you know, he made it look so easy. He was just, but you know what? He had the skill to do it, right? He had the skill. He'd been practicing. You know, he didn't. You know, he probably didn't tell you that he has a paint company and he's been working there for 20 years. But uh, man, this made it look so easy. Um, but uh, we love to see people. You know, there's nothing more enjoyable than watching somebody who has a great skill at a certain thing and, and watching them perform that skill, whether it's a musician or, or how many of you remember PBS and that guy would sit there and paint all those, uh, those I don't remember who, yeah, the Afro, I don't remember, but I remember watching it as a kid. It's about all we watched, but a guy painting those, paint, <laughs> painting those pictures. But it's a joy, it's a pleasure to watch people that are highly skilled use those instruments, particularly when those instruments are very small. Right? Like you think about somebody who's very gifted, a painter, an artist, and they're able to take a very insignificant um, paintbrush that's really of very little value in and of itself and paint, which is of very little value, and probably just a canvas that they picked up with just at the store with all the other blank canvases, and they're able to take that and turn it into a painting that's worth millions hundreds of millions of dollars. I saw a YouTube video today because I was just thinking about paintings and looked it up. And they were talking about paintings that have sold for oh, like $200 million. It's like, what? Because they were able to take that small tool and use it with great skill. They have mastered their tools and um, it's always a pleasure to watch this. So thinking about that, thinking about how something so small like a paintbrush and paint and a canvas, which is just small and can, can turn into something so great. Let's think about David um, here at this time. Remember, God uses things that are small to do things that are big. God uses things that are small to do things that are big. So let's look back here at our passage and think about David and what's going on at this time and maybe try to draw some application uh, from his life. So, so we have Samuel. Um, and when Samuel, when God tells Samuel that there's going to be a new king in town, Samuel's expecting somebody. He, he's probably not expecting someone small, right? I mean, he's this guy's going to be the king. I mean, this is the guy that represents the entire nation. And uh, he has, uh, of course, we talked about it. Saul had already been rejected. And uh, he's, uh, Samuel's told to go see Jesse. So the sun's lying up. And, um, and the first guy that comes in is Eliab. And, and I, I'm just imagining because, you know, as soon as Samuel sees him, Samuel's like, oh, this, this is the guy. I can just imagine. He's probably wearing like a goat skin, you know, sleeveless, big, huge muscles. You know what I mean? Like this guy, probably two swords in his back and leather sheaths, nice square jaw, perfect beard, seven foot tall. You know what I mean? Like this guy is meant to be the king. You know, 
Samuel probably stood up and looked squarely in his chest. This guy's it. This guy's going to be the king. And then, of course, what did God say? God said, no, no, this guy is not going to be the king. Um, don't look at his stature. Don't look on the outside. That's not what I'm looking at. That's not what I'm focused on. That's not what's important. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God is looking on the heart. So they go through all seven sons. Same thing happens. All right? Um, and so then, of course, we know it gets to the last son. And think about it. David. Here's David. He's, he's so insignificant to his family in, his, in the eyes of his family, David is so insignificant that they didn't even go get him with all the other brothers. They, and, and I don't know if they forgot or if they just, in their minds, couldn't even fathom the fact that David, the shepherd, would be the next king. I don't know what was going through their minds. Or if it was in spite, maybe, you know... I'm not going to lie to you, younger siblings can be kind of annoying. So maybe they're just like, ah, not David. Like, you know, they would, the little runt would never be the next king of Israel. Uh, You know, David, the little redheaded brother, he's not going to, it just would never be him. Um, It's not even worth our time to go out and get him and bring him in because it's just, it's not gonna. It's it's not him. That's that's apparently the way that his family thought about him. But of course, we know that God had chosen David. Amen. A person so insignificant to this world was a mighty tool in the hands of God. Someone, something, someone so insignificant, just a shepherd. Shepherding the sheep in the hands of God became one of the greatest kings this world has ever known. God chooses, chose little David to do big things. And of course, I love the story of David. So much incredible things that happened through his life. But like, we, like the, the, the verse said, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. Just like the artist, right? When they look at the blank canvas, they don't see a blank canvas. They see the painting. And it's their job to bring that out of the canvas and the paint. God uses things that are small to do things that are big. You know, this isn't the only place in Scripture where God uses something small to do something big. It's all throughout the scriptures. And actually, even on the way here, I was thinking of more illustrations through scriptures where God did big things through things that were small. But even still in the life of David, think about it. What was David's first, which is kind of ironic with the, um, the way he was chosen to be king, being so small, his first greatest victory was with a small stone. I mean, a small stone that was so insignificant, just sitting there on the ground, David took that small stone and literally changed the course of Israel's history by killing Goliath. Who knows what would have happened through Israel's history if he had not done that. Killed the giant with a simple stone, a small stone. 
you know, other illustrations um, through the scriptures of how God loves to use things that are small to do things that are big is the, the small gift uh, that a child had. A child gave a gift of five loaves and two fish. And God took the small meal of a child and turned it in the hands of the master. A small meal of a child was turned into enough food for thousands of people. That's a lot of food, especially if they eat like my family eats. That is a lot of food. And God was able to do that from the small five loaves and two fish of the boy. You know, I also thought about the small offering, the widow and the mite. And and what did Jesus say? You know, that that widow came and the the widow came to the, the offering and she gave all that she had and it was just the little mite. It was very little monetary value, but God said she gave more than everybody else that put into there. And her life has been used as an example for the rest of history. That widow, she probably could have never imagined giving those small little mite that that would happen. The small offering. I also think about this small prayer. Elijah was, um, Elijah was in the standoff. All right, He was another prophet. He was in the standoff with um, the prophets of Baal. All right, and there's a really epic situation going on here. It's the prophets of Baal versus Elijah, and this is major showdown. And uh, they're trying to get their God to bless it, which, of course, we know didn't happen. And, and then Elijah prays uh, to his God, to Jehovah, to our God, and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Boom! And fire came down from heaven. Consumes it. That's a small prayer. That was a short little prayer. Something so small to God becomes something so big you know and then lastly i thought about and i love this one it's the small army how many of you know the story of the small army right the small army we got gideon and gideon's on his way to to fight the midianites and and he's got this army of thirty-three thousand men thirty-three thousand, or i think maybe thirty-two thousand. 32,000 men. He's got this army of 32,000 men. That's a lot of people. Is 32,000 fighting men a pretty good group of people? Yeah, it's a good group of people. But of course, we know he's, he's on his way, and God says, hmm, that's, that's too many. That's too many, all right? Um, if, you got, if, if you guys go fight right now with these 32,000 men, and you win the battle, then you're going to take the glory away from me. So God whittles that army of 32,000 men, he whittles it down to a meager 300, okay? That's a pretty significant difference. Just, you know, if I said, hey, the Lord put it on my heart to give you $300, he'd probably be like, oh, wow, that is such a blessing. Now, if the Lord, now if I came up to you and said, the Lord put it on my heart to give you $32,000, you're like, whoa, that's a big difference. 
right? That could, that could be life-changing for some people, okay? That's a significant difference, 332,000. And God whittles it down to 32,000. Uh, in the verse it says, um, Judges 7-2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give uh, the Midianites into their hands. I just love that. That's just too many for me to give it into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. Or, you know, they're just going to be lifted up with pride. Saying, mine own hand hath saved me. So God just whittles it down to 300. Of course, we know God gave the victory. God uses things that are small to do things that are big. So here's the question. Here's the question tonight. How do we get our lives in a position... How do we put ourselves in a place where we can be small before God? How do, we, how do we get our lives in a position to allow God to do great things through us? How do we become the tool that God can then take and do a masterpiece with? How, how, do, how do we do that? Well, I just, first off, here's a hint. It's not the way the world tells you, okay? It's actually the complete opposite, all right? So that's, that's just a little hint here, but I think there's principles all throughout Scripture, and I'm just going to emphasize a few here, of how we get our lives into a position where we can be small so that God can do things that are big in our lives. The first one is humility makes us small for God's use. Humility makes us small and gives us the ability to have God use us. David was in a constant state of humility in his life. It's one of the things I love reading through the scriptures and, 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 and love reading the way he communicates with God because he is constantly, especially when he fails, he's always coming to the Lord with repentance. Right? We just did our prayer retreat. Mr. Walsh did a session, and a big part of it was on Psalms 51. And that's a repentance chapter, and it's such a beautiful illustration of how you humble yourself before God and come to him with no pride and just completely open and honest before him. But in first, 2 Samuel 7, 18, it says, and this is just the way David talks to God. This is, I mean, you read through David's life, you, you will read things like this all the time. But it says, Then went David in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? He was just always just so humble and like, I am nothing before you, God. I am nothing. It is you. You are the great one. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Do you struggle with pride? I sure do. All right? I sure do. Um, and nothing is going to hinder God's work. Nothing will make you bigger in your own eyes than pride. And the bigger you are, the less God has the ability to use you. But the smaller you are, the more humble you are, the, the meeker and the lower you are, the greater things God can do with you. Amen? So the first thing is humility. And of course, we see that illustrated 
in the life of um, David. And of course, actually pride, when you're prideful and when you're proud, actually God has to do the exact opposite thing than lift you up, right? When you're proud and you're constantly vaunting, God actually has to bring you low, okay? So it really is, uh, you might be big in your own eyes, but then God has a way of humbling you. Next, another way that we can make ourselves small is to understand God's attributes and character. Understanding those makes us small and gives us the ability to have God use us. Um, Nothing will make you feel smaller than truly understanding how great God is. Truly understanding the power and majesty, all the things that are involved with God's um, attributes and character. Psalms 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. That is an attribute of God. God is love. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, the culture tries to tell us, no, you can't believe that anymore. That's not right. But guess what? It says it in the scriptures. God doesn't change. Amen? I mean, that's a powerful thing to understand that if God said it, that's where we line up. He's the one that gets to dictate morality. He's the one that gets to dictate truth, not us. So we line up with the one who created all things. We line up with the scriptures. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. These are just all examples of God's attributes. You know, that's, that's why it's important to understand the attributes and character of God. That's why it's important to come to church. Amen? This is where we learn about those type of things. This is... This is um, God college. Every time we come to church, is learning about God. Learn about these things. That's why it's important to have your devotions, to spend time with God. Read the scriptures, because the more you learn about him, the more time you spend with him, the more time he reveals himself to you. That is a way that you bring yourself and make yourself small before our great God and allow him to use you. Next, another way, is being a servant makes us small and able for God to use us. Being a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know, uh, ye know that they which are um, accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authorities upon them, authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or your servant. And whosoever shall be chiefest shall be the servant of all. For for even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So is your life constantly consumed with bolstering yourself up? Is your life consumed with me, myself, and I, my job, my money, my work, um, my this, my possessions? I mean, you know, 
my stuff, don't touch, don't ask, keep your fingers off. If you touch it, make sure you have a rag to shine it back up again. <sighs> is that the way your life is or are you in a constant state and consumed with lifting others up around you? Is your primary focus to have those that are around you to try to try to bolster them up to make to to make all those around you successful being a servant makes us small and gives us the ability for God to use us two more really quickly surrender makes us small gives us the ability to have God use us. First Peter chapter five, verse five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the older. Um, ye all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and shame shall come upon him. Um, or excuse me. Oh, I'm reading the wrong one. Sorry. Surrender makes us small before God. That was the next point. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I thought those verses seemed out of order. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Okay? First off, that has to do with salvation, fully surrendered. But that's a day-by-day -day thing, guys. All right? That's not something you do one time. It's not something you do in a service. That is day in and day out, surrendering your will and actions that day to Christ. And then lastly, the way you become small before God is to have a teachable spirit. Do you have a teachable spirit? Being teachable is a way we become small before God. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now I'm reading it with the context of um, being teachable. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the older. Ye, uh, yea, all of you uh, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. Uh, Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and shame shall come upon him that refuseth instruction. And I'm sure you older folks can think about people that refuse instruction and the destruction that comes upon their lives because of that. They just refuse to hear instruction. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof is brutish. Do you have a teachable spirit? I was talking to a young man. He's, he's in his late 20s and he works construction. And he was telling me about an interaction he had with um, an older gentleman. And they were working on a project together. And he saw the guy was doing something incorrectly. Now, even though this guy's only in his um, late 20s, he's actually been working construction for like 10 or 12 years, for, since he was a teenager. So this guy was doing something that he saw wasn't quite right. And he's like, hey, I'll show the guy the right way to do it. And this guy's a super nice guy, okay? He's in no way, shape, or form ever come across as a jerk or anything. So he's just like, hey, it's a lot easier if you do it this way. And he tries to show the guy. And he said, the guy looks at him and goes, hey, I remember when kids used to respect their elders. <laughs> he was just like, ugh. He's telling me how embarrassed he was because he's like, I literally just wanted to help this guy out. I was just trying to show him how to do something more effectively and he's like, I don't know what happened, you know, but I hope, I pray that no matter how old any of us get, 
we're always teachable. Amen? We're always teachable. There's always something we can learn. There's things we can learn from people that are older than us. There's also things we can learn from people that are younger than us. All right? Always have a teachable spirit. I was listening to a podcast this week. I love podcasts. And uh, there was an interview with this pastor. And this pastor told this story about how he, when he was a young pastor, he got this letter. And of course, you know, pastor talked about this Sunday, but all, all pastors get lots of nasty letters from people, people that are just upset. And uh, he got this nasty letter from this lady and she just ripped them apart. And he was so bothered by it, you know, just a young pastor, really bothered by this. So he, he contacts his brother, who's also a pastor, and he's like, my, my brother really was my sounding board, and he really has given me a lot of counsel over the years, and he's the, my main go-to guy. So I called him, and, I'm ex- and, and I called him for the purpose of him kind of uh, verbally giving me a, uh, putting his arm around my shoulder and patting me on the back. And uh, he said, I told my brother about this nasty letter. This lady sent me is totally uncalled for. She has no idea what she's talking about. And, he's, and he said, my brother tells me, well... This is what I want you to do. I want you to read that letter every day for a couple weeks. And I want you to try to see, ask God to show you something you need to change in your life because of what was communicated through that letter. And he said that was the most humbling experience that he's ever been through. And God actually used that letter Obviously, the way it was done was wrong. There's nothing right about the way it was, uh, that letter was communicated to him, but he used that to help him hone some of his spiritual disciplines in his life. That is a man who's willing to be taught. Amen? Having a teachable spirit, realizing there's always something more we need to learn and bringing those before God. And then lastly... Jesus is the ultimate example of becoming small. Think about it. Jesus Christ, God, humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a baby. I mean, the smallest thing, a little child, that vulnerability, God did that. He took on human flesh. He took on the form of a servant. He surrendered so many of his rights and the things that he have had, and he became small. And he did that all for us. He had no ulterior motives. He had no secret agenda, hidden agenda. He made it known, I have, I've come here for you. I have, I have done all of this for you. Jesus became small so he could do something so big. So big. Bring salvation. Something huge. Okay, big doesn't cover. Huge, massive, colossal. He came down and he did that to take the penalty of our sin upon the cross our penalty, what we deserve for sin, he took that upon himself so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. For he hath made, First, uh, Second Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Talk about the form of a servant, right? 
not bolstering himself up. Literally, he came. Remember I talked about lifting others up around you? He literally came to lift all of humanity up. It's crazy. Jesus is the ultimate example of becoming small so that he could do something big. Let me ask you this. How small are you tonight? How small are you? How small are you spiritually? How small are you in your heart? Are you small enough to be used of God? Or are you too big? Are you small enough to... Does God look at you and say, Man, I just really want to do something with that guy, but he's just too big. (laughs) He's too big for his own britches. She's too big. I still want to do something. They're just too big. They just need to get smaller. We know that when it's the, you know, there's so many things in scriptures that are the great paradox. So many paradoxes in scriptures. And the paradox is, is that the smaller you get, the bigger God makes you. Right? It, it goes, be, it goes, it goes um, beyond logic. It doesn't make sense. But it's the truth of scripture. How big are you? He alone is worthy of praise. You know, and he wants us to get so small because guess what? Just like the, the, the passage with the 300 soldiers, he wants us to get so small because when he does come through on your behalf, when he does show himself strong, guess who gets all the glory? He does. The only one deservant of the glory. He gets all the glory when we make ourselves small. How small are you tonight? You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.